It's the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson. The most important story. That seems to me like government is establishing a religion. The latest in politics and world affairs. If you give people rights, women's rights, gay rights, whatever, there can't be equal rights if there's special rights. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. Surveys show that, that people still really prefer freedom versus force. It's the AmeriChicks dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation. Welcome to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson. We've got another really big show planned for you today. Thrilled to have in studio with me guest chick and AmeriChick partner, Karen Levine, award-winning realtor with the REMAX Alliance. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. We'll be talking about housing and cities. Our guest in the third and fourth segment is Randall O'Toole with the Cato Institute. He's an expert on urban planning, transportation, land use issues, and... um, we had ta- talked a little bit about this book, The Death and the Life of Great American Cities. It was written by Jane Jacobs back in the, the early 60s. And he said this has become the Bible of uh, planners. So this has been taught at colleges because it seems like we've got cut and paste uh, things happening across our city. You see these, uh, you know, for example, bike lanes. Uh, you see that in one city, you see that in another, and you realize that uh, somebody's Somebody's coming up with this idea, and so it sounds like maybe this is the book that that has become the Bible of planners in colleges. And so it'll be a really interesting conversation with Randall O'Toole in the third and fourth segment. Um, but everything, Karen, you know, we talk a lot about this. When we're looking at these issues, it's freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And people in America overall still like freedom from what I hear. I think you're right. <laughs> and, you know, it's never compassionate to take other people's rights, their property, their freedom via force, whether it's with a weapon policy or unpredictable and excessive taxation. So it's important that we get our brains around these ideas so that we can converse with our friends and our family and our colleagues about these important issues. And uh, we see uh, more of a socialization uh, of, of transportation, education, energy, housing, and water. And uh, so we, we need to be vigilant on that. And it is time that we, again, get our brains around these ideas so that we can talk with people about that. So first of all, uh, thank you to producer Steve, Zach, Patty, and Keith for your support, your good work, keeping this train on the tracks. And thank you to all of you listeners out there. Uh, you each are valued and treasured, and I greatly appreciate you. A uh, couple of uh, bookkeeping things here. And Natalie Minton is sponsoring through Colorado Engaged. It's a TABOR, a Taxpayer's Bill of Rights boot camp training on August 3rd at the Lakewood Library, which is at 10200 West 20th Avenue. It's going to be from 11 to 2 p.m. with a 1030 check-in time. And she's uh, asking people for $20 to cover the costs, which includes a a booklet, refreshments, and a T-shirt for each participant. And you can sign up for this training at coloradoengaged.com. That's coloradoengaged.com. And there is a, a very concerted effort uh, to get rid of Tabor, which is an amendment to the Colorado Constitution. And uh, what we see, first of all, there's going to be on the ballot this November is Proposition CC. It was referred by the legislature, which the question on that, Tabor does three things. It's just really about good manners, Karen. It says, it says politicians, bureaucrats, interested parties, if you want to uh, do three things, you just have to ask us the taxpayer first. So if you want to increase our taxes, just ask us. 
If you want to incur debt that we're going to have to pay off, just ask us. And if you want to keep uh, tax refunds above a very generous formula of population plus uh, inflation, you just have to ask us. Proposition CC, what it does is it says that uh, they will never have to ask us to keep our, if if we want our tax refunds back, they're going to keep our tax refunds forever. And, you know, we may want to say, okay, you can keep our tax refunds, but is it really fair that we say that you can keep our kids' tax refunds? Maybe they should be able to vote on that. So it's very important to say no on Proposition CC. I think then in the uh, next, uh, in 2020, there's going to be an all-out um, um, effort to just totally get rid of Tabor. Uh, we see people organizing on that already. So this boot camp that Natalie Minton has uh, put together is really important. And again, that information is at coloradoengaged.com. Uh, so our inspect the British Open is uh, starting this week. And so I thought for our quotes for probably the rest of the week, we're going to have golfers. So Henry Varden, He lived uh, from 1870 to 1937. He was a professional golfer from the uh, Bailiwick of Jersey. He was a member of the Great Triumvirate with uh, John Henry Taylor and James Braid. And he won the uh, the British Open Championship a record six times and also won the 1900 U.S. Open. And he says, even in our darkest hour, this is our inspiration for today, even in our darkest hour, we must remember never despair. That's Henry Varden. He says, even in our darkest hour, we must remember never despair. And since we're going to be talking with Randall O'Toole, he's a transportation expert uh, with with Cato Institute. And uh, so I thought this was a great one. I heard this down at the Western Conservative Summit this um, this weekend. It says, um, Karen, did you know that Hollywood is doing a new Green Deal remake of planes, trains, and automobiles? I didn't hear that. It's called Trains. okay let's jump in here uh we're going to talk a little bit about national stuff as you uh saw the uh the four and what do they call them now the squad or the quad or whatever these four the squad uh, yes the squad the four socialist uh, uh, members of congress that uh got in a tiff with um President Trump, there's, and so it's been all over the news. And Tucker Carlson last night had a, an interesting soundbite. So, Steve, would you hit that, please? What grabbed my attention on the Fox News website was a quote from Tucker himself. It says, the more the squad talks, the more the Democrats lose. So uh, this is an interesting perspective. A series of tweets yesterday, the president attacked four freshman Democrats in Congress. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, and Rashida Tlaib. He called them anti-American. Cable news has been going bonkers ever since. The consensus in Washington is that Trump made a mistake by once again making the story about himself. Maybe that's true. Time will tell. But there's another way to look at it. By singling out these four members of Congress, the president also highlighted their prominence in the Democratic Party. Six months ago, these were just four young lefties in a sea of 235 House Democrats. Now, they are the Democratic Party. And, you know, we talk a lot about this, that the veil is off. Steve, we've said this quite often, the veil is off. You know, I think many everyday hardworking Americans, we've, we've felt kind of an undertone, Karen, of, of things, I, I, you know, just kind of a, something that makes your tummy kind of go, uh, something isn't quite right. And um, the veil is now off. Uh, these four young women 
um, from the actions that I see, they do not love the American idea. And, uh, and then we saw that this last uh, Friday out here at the detention center, the ICE detention center here in Aurora. Once again, the veil is off. Uh, there was a protest uh, at this ICE facility, and uh, one of the congressmen who actually went through the facility said that it, it's uh, clean. There's um, three, you know, three meals a day. There's TVs. There's iPads. Uh, it's very, very comfortable. So the narrative out there, you know, this this whole thing about children in cages. I saw, I think it was Ocasio Cortez talking about that yesterday. And those photos of children in quote unquote cages that was during the Obama administration. And so there is a lot of deception that is going on here. And uh, so the fact that that the veil is off with these four women, they don't like the American idea. What happened out at the ICE detention center is these protesters took down the Colorado flag. They took down the American flag. They desecrated the American flag. They put it back up, uh, upside down, up the uh, flagpole. And then uh, on the other flagpole, they put the Mexican flag. Now, there's 56 uh, different nationalities that are, at, that are at that ICE detention center. And some of them are from Africa. And we talked about it yesterday, Steve. How did they get across the big blue ocean? They got to Central America. They came across the border. Somebody's organizing this. Well, you answered the question. I mean, you asked the question, then you turn around and answer it. That, <laughs> through the lack of any type of... Uh, proper procedure, process of procedure, that's exactly what they did. They they got on a a, a tramp steamer and, and they came across to the Central American country or even South American country and just, you know, started walking. And, uh, you know, President Trump is the first president uh, on from either both sides of the aisle uh, that has actually understood how important it is that we, good neighbors, or fences make good neighbors, and this idea that we just let anybody in and we, we give them free stuff, you know, it, it, once again, they take this idea that America is a, is a country of immigrants. And we are, Karen. Right. Um, my ancestors came from Germany and from Scotland and, and Ireland. And, um, but when they came over, there weren't any, we didn't have this um, uh, ent- entitlement uh, where people were paying, uh, you know, for, you know, welfare and Medicaid and all that. People came over here, and then they might have gotten uh, from a church or from a family. Uh, they were sponsored, but they were expected to get on their own. And uh, so this idea that we just have open borders and that we Americans just pay for all that, it's going to break our country. And you do not see people trying to get into Cuba or trying to get into Venezuela and uh, Venezuela, I remember, had been a very prosperous country. And it's because of public policy that people don't even have enough food and toilet paper down there. Steve, you look like you want to say something. Well, Ms. Omar uh, also <laughs> deepened our appreciation for her. Uh, I believe it was yesterday she was walking the tunnel from the uh, congressional office building over to the Capitol. And the press was following her. But one reporter had her ear. He asked her several times, at least three to four times, to... Would she uh, denounce what happened up in Washington State where the Antifa guy tried to firebomb the ICE detention center? And she kept, she would sh- divert her glance. Every once in a while, she, she'd shoot him a dirty glance like, stop asking me that question. But she didn't say a word. Three different times he plainly asked her, would you denounce that 
situation, and she she won. Well, and you know what? To that point, finally, somebody, some journalist, journalist is doing their job. That is what they are supposed to be doing, is asking those kinds of questions. And uh, so this deception that's been going on, uh, that um, that these people care about America, and it's been, um, you know, supported in the media, and then going after Donald Trump because he is actually trying to make sure that we have uh, fences and doors to our our country, uh, the veil is off, and I think that I think that um, I think everyday hardworking Americans are realizing what the real issues are going to be as we come into 2020. Steve, if actions truly do speak louder than words, then their little press conference that they had, all four of them in the squad, mm-hmm. took an opportunity to speak. I say your words are saying one thing, your actions are saying something totally different. And I go back to what Tucker Carlson just said in that soundbite: they are becoming the Democratic Party. And they they certainly are, and um, uh, it's going to get really interesting. But my friends, we need to make sure that we look to uh, the founding of our country, the Constitution. The Constitution was put in place to protect each person's rights. That right to go after your life, your liberty, and your pursuit of happiness. You know, when they beat up that uh, uh, Andy No, uh, uh, what was it a week or so ago? And they say they're anti-fascist, but they act like fascists. And so that's what we're seeing throughout everything now is they say one thing and they do another thing. And uh, we as you know, we as trusting people, if you tell us that, we think that that's true. But now we're really starting to see the actions on that. So we're going to go to break. Before we do that, though, well, what we're going to talk about then is housing here in what's going on in Colorado. But before we do that, uh, the Rockies are having quite a time. <laughs> they lost two yesterday to the Giants. So it, uh, we'll see what hap- happens um, uh, tonight because they're going to go go at it again. And then they, the Rockies head to New York Friday for interleague games with the Yankees. And, you know, the great place to watch all these games is Hooters. It's the place to be this summer. They have beach-worthy seafood items like amazing fish tacos, delicious snow crab legs, and mouth-watering buffalo shrimp. Have you had that buffalo shrimp at my house? I have. I got one. That's right. You got one. I haven't gotten any yet. Went back for a second. Yeah, yeah there were gone. weren't any. <laughs> Is it pretty good? Because I haven't had I, any yet. They are quite tasty. Okay, good. Yes. Good. Well, and Hooters has plenty of ice cold beer options to help you cool down this summer. Additional happenings, they have nine items for nine bucks, 11 to 3 p.m. Monday through Friday. And there's nine delicious menu items, such as fish and shrimp tacos, salads, cheeseburger, Philly cheese steak, and boneless wings. So that's for dine-in, but you can get wings or any of that buffalo shrimp. You can get it to go. You can have it delivered right to your front door. So for more information, visit HootersColorado.com. That's HootersColorado.com. We'll be right back. Karen Levine. Award-winning realtor with REMAX Alliance is going to give us an update on what is happening in the Colorado uh, Metro, or the Denver Metro real estate market. We'll be right back. All AmeriChick sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. And now introducing Vino and Veritas in Fort Collins at Ginger and Baker. Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Loveland for sponsoring the new Vino and Veritas in Fort Collins. 
In Denver and Castle Rock, Kim would like to thank Presidential Wealth Management Denver and YourTownTaxpayers.com for their generous support. Vino and Veritas Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Sign up today at Americhicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we are dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation. And thrilled to be having a conversation with Karen Levine. You are an award-winning realtor with REMAX Alliance. You're on the National Board of Realtors, right? I am, the National Association of Realtors. Okay. Board of Director. And you have a real heart for uh, property rights, for people being able to buy their own personal home. You've been helping them do that for a number of years. And uh, you give a lot of your time, Karen, to, to make this happen. Uh, and, um, you know, you're, you're involved in public policy, a lot of different things. And so if people, you know, you and I have been friends for many, many years. And if people, if are, are you folks out there, if you're thinking about buying or selling a home, you know, talk to Karen Levine because she can help you navigate this crazy real estate market out there. And so how crazy is it right now? Well, it's a little less crazy. Um, so we've been seeing a little bit of an adjustment in the marketplace over these last several years, several months, not years. Um, many of, I think, our listeners understood that over um, the last three or four years when a home came on the market, um, Typically, if it came on the market on a Thursday or a Friday, multiple offers would be accumulated over the weekend and a seller would make a decision on a Monday or a Tuesday, generally getting their list price or better. Um, as we came into 2019, um, we're seeing demand is down a little bit, which means less buyers in the marketplace. And as I have spoken um, time after time, um, it's really the basic um, rules of economy supply versus demand. And if you have low supply and high demand, prices are going to go up. And as demand starts to trickle down, um, prices are not going to appreciate as much. But we did see um, in our June statistics, which came out late last week, that the medium sales price um, in the Denver metro area inched up about 2.4%. We're looking at a medium sales price for the whole market of 420,000. And a single-family home, a median sales price right now in the metro area is at $450. Um, so we're continuing to see good appreciation. So for those um, who have a lot of equity in their homes and want to make a move, um, I think the opportunity is actually better now than it was these last couple of years because sellers are in a mindset that maybe taking a contingency on the sale of another property Um, is something that they would consider where several years back, you better come in clean, um, you know, with good down payment, high FICO scores, a great strong approval letter. Um, But now, um, you know, with a little bit of slowdown, I think sellers might be a little more open if you as a home seller, home buyer, have, say, a condo or townhome to sell and you're ready to get into that single-family home and start to build a family or you just want more space or maybe a yard, um, the seller on that single-family home might be willing to give you some time to get your property under contract. Well, and for baby boomers that may have that big house, uh, this might be a time to really consider uh, to be downsizing. You can get the equity out of that house now. What what what, what does it look like for the smaller properties or if they would move into a townhouse? Or, you know, they might even be moving to another state. Well, 
For those who are moving to a another state, I would encourage them that this is great timing. And the reason is, is they're going to mac maximize their equity position. For those who are making a move down, um, I educate my um, clients that when you make a move down, the size may um, go down, but the price probably will go up, um, which seems... On, on like a square footage basis or something? Right, okay. because um, the highest demanded property... Um, really nationwide, but really in our marketplace is a, is a one-level ranch-style home or townhome or condo because as we age, we want to get away from stairs, and we aren't building um, condominiums in because our of marketplace. Because construction defect stuff. And um, the cost of building ranch-style homes is more expensive than building a two-story because the footprint is bigger, so it requires more okay. concrete, more roof, et cetera, et cetera. So when they go to make that move down, um, a lot of times it may be lateral or they may be paying a little bit more for that ranch-style home. Um, but we are seeing um, homes coming out of the ground that are ranch-style or main floor master. Um, in the, I would say, the northern and outskirts, eastern metro area, mm -hmm. um, central obviously is going to be much more difficult um, our older homes don't have laundry on the main floor. So they might move into a ranch-style home, but then laundry's in the basement. Whereas so newer homes, have the stairs. Okay. Yeah, you're moving those up. Um, but it can be done. I've been successful several times this year with um, my um, counterpart clients that we are in that same age range and wanting to make those simplifications in our life. Okay. Wanted to back up to one of the things that you said at the beginning. You said that demand has lightened up just a little bit. Does, do you have any reports on why they think that might be happening? I don't know. And I'm kind of anxious to delve in deeper into that information. Just to, It's a feeling we all have. Um, our showings are down, which means that's typically less buyers in the marketplace. Um, have all those buyers through the frenzy of the last three or four years gotten into housing and, and we don't have more people considering housing. Um, the thing I'd love listeners to know is interest rates are the lowest they've been in over 20 months. So it's a very um, good time um, to get a mortgage. Um, you're going to pay right around 4%, maybe 3.875 if you're lucky, um, depending on your credit score. So there's great opportunity out there. Um, and I always um, warn sellers that your pricing and your condition is really going to um, dictate how successful you are in the process. Well, you know, Karen, I wonder if, you know, these kind of crazy policies that came out of the legislature this last uh, session, if that might have any effect. I know that's probably hard to say, but, you know, this that 181 regarding the oil and gas mm -hmm. um, business. I mean, I know people that have been leaving the state and I... And I Gosh, I'm a little concerned that that might be something that's going on. I know it's probably hard to say. Yeah, I, I think those statistics, we're not going to see the effect. As with, if you use construction defect legislation as an example, um, I think our legislators, their hearts were in the right place at the time. They were trying to protect the homeowner, and instead they stifled um, development and the ability for people to get into homes because it was so restrictive, and the costs that were incurred because of that legislation, developers didn't want to bring properties out of the ground because they couldn't afford to. Um, so sometimes we see the effects of policy way down the road, um, and then we realize how ineffective or destructive they've been. So that's where you getting out the information is so important for people to listen and to be cautious 
Um, sounds good on the front end, but let's see what long term that's going to have an effect on. Well, and you know, you see that a lot with public policy that people don't look at the long term. And then I think that there are some that do look at the long term. And I'm not sure that that they always have the uh, everyday hardworking individual's uh, best interest in mind. And so that's why, you know, we need to be involved in things. We need to read the legislation. We need to read the ordinances. I know that's something that you and I are both starting to do. We're, we're trying to trudge through this uh, Blueprint Denver, which we'll talk a little bit about that with mm-hmm. uh, Randall O'Toole in the third and fourth segment. So we're going to go to break in just a little bit. But So we've got Jason McBride with Presidential Wealth Management uh, on the phone. And Jason... You know, I think it's probably good to not remind people to get too complacent these days uh, with their uh, personal economy, right? Well, sometimes uh, when the market's at new highs and it's been doing well for a while, we tend to forget that there can be bad times as well. Uh, One of my favorite quotes, which I've talked about before, but I think bears repeating, is don't confuse brains with a bull market. And that's from uh, Humphrey Neal, who is the author of The Art of Contrarian Thinking, and he was a market operator and a trader and a technician. And I, I think that's a good quote, uh, Kim. The, the more the market goes up, a lot of times uh, the higher it goes, the smarter we think we are. <laughs> and uh, the higher it goes, the more we think it's because of uh, – you know, the decisions that we made, and we forget that our boat's just kind of getting floated along with everybody else's. Uh, the funny thing is, when it finally goes down, it's never our fault. <laughs> That's how it works. It's, uh, yes, I know. <laughs> so, but, um, you know, statements of high officials are practically always misleading when trying to bolster a failing market. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, that's a quote by uh, Gerald Loeb, who is the author of The Battle for Investment Survival. Uh, That's a great book. Uh, He was a market operator, you know, back around the turn of the century and in the old days. And it's funny how many of his lessons are still very, very pertinent today. But that is so true, Kim. And you know it. I know it. Karen knows it. Uh, whenever things start going bad, you've always got the, the government officials coming on TV saying, don't worry, be happy, everything's okay. Um, you know, here's, here's a few famous ones. Don't worry, it's contained only to subprime. Uh, this is just a correction in the Internet stocks. They'll bounce back uh, pretty quick. Uh, those are just a couple of the more famous ones that didn't turn out to be true. So when the market's dropping and they're resorting to putting uh, uh, big, important government people on to kind of soothe your feathers, a lot of times that's an indication that we're really in trouble. Well, and that is why uh, your personal economy, as you mentioned, you know, I think it, it's important to work with you know somebody like you, Jason, who you can sit down and, and talk about you know, people's personal economy, prepare for those rainy days, prepare for retirement. And that's what you specialize in. So like, what do you read? Where do you get all of your research? Well, I think you have to try to be uh, independent and not biased. And Kim, it's harder than ever today not to get your head spun watching the financial news, because at this point, even when, even when people are giving their opinions on the stock market or they're talking about an individual stock, I, I mean, even that is saturated with 
partisan bias at this point. So what do you do? Uh, I still think one of the best publications out there is Investors Business Daily. Uh, now, I'm not talking about the editorial section because they're biased, too. It's to the right, and that's fine, but uh, I don't want that when I'm doing uh, research. They have great stock tables that have tons of info uh, at a glance, uh, good columns about the health of the market, such as like the big picture. So I read the meat and petite, meat and potatoes part and not the editorial section. And I'll tell you, Kim, I still think the absolute best book ever uh, on investing is a book called How to Make Money in Stocks by William J. O'Neill. You know, there's always uh, some nuggets of, of information when we have these conversations, Jason. So Investors Business Daily, How to Make Money in Stocks, uh, those are two things that people can go out and um, Um, you know, I think would really help them out. And then, of course, sitting down with you and taking a look at their nest egg and working on their own personal economy. So the place that they can get more information is uh, chickspresidential.com. That's chickspresidential.com. Jason, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great show, Kim. Thanks so much. When we come back, we'll be talking with Randall O'Toole. He is with the Cato Institute, and he's an expert on transportation and urban planning and uh, and housing. And uh, he had mentioned this book the last time that we talked with him, The Death and Life of Great American Cities by Jane Jacobs, because I was trying to figure out, it's like there's these cut and paste policies across America. And uh, I think this may be where they're getting it. So we're going to go to break. We have Karen Levine in studio as our guest chick. We'll be right back. Are you looking for news, not propaganda? Ready for a news source you can actually trust? How about a news site that doesn't want to sell you a subscription? Visit CompleteColorado.com to see all the latest news from around Colorado. Complete Colorado's staff scours news sources from around the state and nation to bring you only the top stories that affect you right here in our great state. Updated three times a day, CompleteColorado.com has full-time reporters doing original investigations and reporting like newspapers used to do, as well as opinion and political commentary from a variety of Colorado voices. And CompleteColorado.com is the only place to read columnist Mike Rosen. Always fresh content, always free, always informed. CompleteColorado.com, your complete source for Colorado news. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and Americhick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at Americhicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at americhicks.com Come join the 88 Drive-In for all your favorite blockbuster movies. We're open seven days a week. Admission is only $9 per person and children under 12 are free. Friday, July 12th through Thursday, July 18th, features will include Toy Story 4, Men in Black International, and Godzilla. And remember our popular Monday through Thursday pizza special. Get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot from our oven and two tall, cool 16-ounce sodas, all for only 12 bucks. Plus, now you can top it all off with our new sweet, crunchy churros and a steaming cup of hot chocolate. For more information, go to our Facebook page or visit our website at 88drivein.net. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on Americhicks.com. 
Hey, welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation. Thrilled to have in studio with me guest chick, uh, Karen Levine, award-winning realtor with REMAX Alliance. Great to have you here. I know you're excited to be talking with Randall O'Toole here in just a moment. Most definitely. And Randall O'Toole is on the line. He is uh, an expert in transportation and urban planning and... uh, Uh, Last time he was on the air, he mentioned this book, The Death and Life of Great American Cities. And so we want to talk about that. Randall O'Toole, welcome to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson. Hi, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? Great. Well, I got the book. I have not read the whole book, Randall. But I started, and the very first thing I have to say is this was written by Jane Jacobs back in, uh, let's see, what was it? Copyright was 1960. Yep, and... um, so in her acknowledgments, she uh, said she wanted to thank the following persons, and there's a whole list of people that she wanted to thank. But first and foremost was Saul Alinsky, the, uh, uh, the author of Rules for Radicals. I about fell off my chair when I saw that. Well, uh, Jane Jacobs was facing an interesting problem. Today, uh, people living in neighborhoods of single-family homes are being besieged by people who say, uh, you're racist unless you allow somebody to build a five-story apartment building in your neighborhood. Uh, Jane Jacobs was living in a five-story apartment building, and she was told that she was a racist unless they, uh, she allowed people to tear down her building and build a skyscraper, a 10- or 20-story uh, apartment building. And she didn't want to lose her neighborhood to 10- or 20-story apartment buildings, just as today people in single-family neighborhoods don't want to lose their, their neighborhoods to five-story apartment buildings. So she organized and uh, got people to fight the uh, plans and succeeded and, and, and saved her neighborhood from being torn down and turned into high-rise apartment buildings. Uh, I don't know if today she would sympathize with people who live in single-family neighborhoods, but she wrote The Death and Life of, a, of Great American Cities to defend her neighborhood and unfortunately, it's been misinterpreted by urban planners who say, well, if her neighborhood was so great, then all neighborhoods should be like her neighborhood, uh, and we should tear down single-family homes and replace them with five-story apartment buildings. Boy, and, we're and that's been the mistake that is, it is killing uh, cities today. Well, we're seeing that in Denver, uh, up and down the corridor. You're seeing in there, they're trying to put them next to light rail, and uh, I mean... Karen, there are four- and five-story apartment buildings. That is absolutely astounding, Randall. Well, the the amazing thing is, uh, really, urban planners have had this mania for density, Mm -hmm. and they were going for high-rise buildings, and and Jane Jacobs killed that. uh, But now they're going for mid-rise, and it's still the same mania. It's still density is better. Uh, Private ownership is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, commons is good, and and things like this. So we end up uh, uh, more and more people end up having to live in in areas of little privacy, tiny apartments, uh, and uh, noise, and and so on and so forth. And unfortunately, a little bit higher crime uh, in, in neighborhoods that have more commons and less private private land, uh, as you find in single family neighborhoods. Well, and if people freely want to, you know, move into a, a mid-rise apartment, hey, more power to you. But Karen and I were talking about out here in Colorado, I think you're familiar with it, Randall, 
uh, is we have this construction defects uh, legislation, which basically has prevented condominium uh, development. And, and condominiums typically were a way for people to start to build equity that they could then sell that and then maybe buy that single family house. It was, you know, a way to start to create wealth with apartments. You know, basically you pay rent and you're not creating any equity. But it seems that planners out here in Colorado have have really wanted to put people into apartments versus this home ownership or even condo ownership. Well, even condo ownership is less than desirable because there's high condo fees and you still have a lot of uh, uh, common areas. You don't have your own little garden and things like that. Uh, and as a result, nationwide, even in places that don't have the anti-condo legislation like Colorado has, uh, 17 out of 20 people living in multifamily apart- buildings are renters, whereas 17 out of 20 people living in single-family buildings are homeowners. Uh, home ownership uh, just works better for single-family homes than for uh, multifamily. And I think most people, most Americans, most people worldwide, see multifamily as something that you either do when you, because you can't afford a single-family home or it's a transition to a single-family home. You're, you're starting out, you, you move into multifamily. When you start earning enough money, then you move into a single-family home and hopefully buy it. Uh, and, and urban planners want to turn this upside down. They want to make it so that multifamily is the... Uh, end-all, be-all of, of housing, and they've succeeded in doing that in, in Britain and in other parts of Europe uh, by following the urban planning uh, uh, mandates to build all this multifamily, even though people don't want it. And uh, to do it, of course, they have to subsidize it. They have to forbid single-family uh, or at least uh, make it so expensive that people can't afford it. Well, and Randall, that's one of the things that when we I start the show, the real questions out there when you look at these things is freedom versus force or force versus freedom. So what you just mentioned was uh, subsidizing a certain kind of housing or, you know, they may make it difficult from a, a zoning situation for people to have single family homes, but they lighten up those rules and regulations for what these planners think or, you know, what they want. And uh, so it's really taken freedom out of the market from what I can see. Yes. And, you know, the the first thing is uh, they restrict rural land development. Boulder did this on a massive scale. They did it by buying uh, land or buying uh, conservation easements on land equal to almost ten times the area of the city of Boulder itself. Now, the west side of Boulder, of course, is bordered by the, by the National Forest. So north, south, and east, they've got a huge swath of land they call the Green Belt, and you can't build on it because it's either government-owned or it's got conservation easements. So if you work in Boulder, but you can't afford to live in a the house there, you end up having to commute a long way. And because of the Green Belt, Boulder is the most expensive city uh, in a non-coastal state in the United States. Denver isn't that far behind. Denver has an urban growth boundary uh, around Denver, Westminster, you know, all the communities in the Denver urban area. And it's very difficult to build. And if you couldn't buy 1,000 acres and build 10,000 homes outside of the urban growth boundary in in Colorado, uh, in 
uh, uh, Wyoming or Nevada or uh, Arizona, you can buy 10,000 acres and build build uh, 50,000 homes or whatever. And you see that happening all the time in in around Las Vegas, around Phoenix, uh, around Houston, around Dallas. Uh, these big master plan communities that end up being extremely affordable and keeping the market as a whole very affordable. You can't do that in Denver. You can't do it in California. You can't do it in Oregon or Washington because of land use restrictions. So we have on one hand restrictions on low density development and on the other hand even with the restrictions people would rather not build, live in a multifamily home so we end up having to subsidize the multifamily. And uh, I haven't checked uh, every development in uh, uh, Denver, but you look at those five-story buildings, you check the records, an awful lot of them are getting what are called tax increment finance subsidies from the cities in which they're being built. That means that the property taxes that they end up paying go to subsidize their construction rather than going to the urban services that are consumed by those areas, which means everybody else has to pay more taxes to uh, uh, provide urban services to those regions, to those uh, developments. Well, and it seems to me, Randall, we're going to go to break, but and so maybe uh, we can talk about this when we come back, but the, the cities that are getting into the situation where they're restricting growth, it seems like we're getting into the kind of the haves and the have-nots, where we're starting to see a real um, you know, squeeze on the middle class, and, and a vibrant middle class is what's been so special about the American idea. So you see like cities like Los Angeles and San Francisco, and, and we're even ha- starting to have it here in Denver that there's the haves and the have-nots, and so, there's some parts of these cities that look like third-world countries. So let's go to break. When we come back, I, I'd love to have you addre- address that. Okay. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect your private property rights. Karen Levine believes in home ownership. Since losing her mother to breast cancer, Karen Levine has helped to organize a local fundraising event called Karen's for the Cure, raising money for breast cancer research. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by the Americhicks with Kim Munson. So call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. Social media is important to the Americhicks. Since it's an avenue we can utilize to hear from and speak to all of our friends. For those of you who enjoy listening to the show, we'd love to hear what's on your radar. Follow us and talk to us at AmeriChicks Twitter and Facebook pages. Also, if you're a business owner who could benefit from some extra foot traffic from like-minded friends, consider advertising on the AmeriChicks radio show. Contact us at AmeriChicks.com or email Kim at AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. We're having a conversation with Randall O'Toole. He is an expert on transportation and housing and urban planning, and uh, he's uh, writes extensively. It's just great to have you on the line, Randall. And I, I uh, had a question for you as we went to break, but before we get to that, uh, Karen had a question for you. 
Um, so, Randall, when we were talking about single-family homeownership and that that is the preference or that really is how you build wealth, um, for me, there was a, a bit of a pause from the standpoint that um, as a real estate agent um, for 30 years, I have found that I have clientele that really appreciates and has a desire to be in multifamily at certain stages in their life. And they don't want to be renters. They want to be homeowners. Um, So I think that it's not necessarily an all or nothing situation. And I'd love your thoughts on that regarding um, there is a place in our marketplace for ownership units that are multifamily. Well, you know, before they started putting in our urban growth boundaries, they zoned the cities, but uh, generally, cities that were zoned had plenty of land zoned for multifamily. That was partly because realtors and developers believed that they could make more money from multifamily uh, because on one acre you could squeeze more people in and you could earn more uh, money from selling or renting to those people. Uh, and so there was plenty of land zoned for multifamily inside the cities. Outside the cities, generally, there was no zoning until the last few decades, and so you could build whatever the market wanted. So I don't really see that there have been any market uh, or any restrictions on multifamily from zoning until uh, uh, we started putting in the urban growth boundaries, and then we made land so expensive it's become very difficult to build anything at all that's affordable. And that's really the problem is that land is very, very expensive. You want to build something that's affordable, uh, you first of all have to deal with the fact that you've got high cost of land. Second, if you want to build multifamily and you build more than two stories tall, it costs a lot more to build uh, per square foot, anything that's taller than two stories. And so that drives up your costs. And this is what's really going on here. We've uh, increased the cost of land, we've increased the cost of construction, and we've increased labor costs because in order to pay for uh, labor, you have to pay them enough to... Uh, uh, for them to house themselves. And since housing has become expensive in places like Boulder and Denver and, and San Francisco, uh, labor costs are higher, and that makes housing costs even higher uh, uh, to a greater degree. Well, and Randall, to your point, you said that the housing or the uh, land costs have gone up, that the construction costs have gone up, and labor costs have gone up. But if you look at underlying, the reasons that they are going up is because of government policy. That's right. Mm-hmm. So that's the important. That's, right. that's the important thing. And and I think that uh, the, on the National Board of Realtors website that they said that they can document. Well, they said that twenty five percent of the cost of a new house goes to rules and regulations. If we're serious about wanting to reduce have affordable housing, then we need to be reducing those costs. Just think with a with a magic wand, you could reduce the housing costs by 25%. That makes it a lot more affordable for everybody. But you know what? Then the planners don't have the control. And but so, that 25% is a national average. In Denver, it's 50%. In San Francisco, it's 80%. In, in Seattle, it's about 60 or 70%. So... Uh, in Houston, it's maybe 5% or, or less. So uh, that the 25% doesn't apply to Denver. If, if you got rid of the urban growth boundaries and the Boulder green belts, uh, Denver prices would fall by half. Huh. Wow. You talk about making housing affordable. That will do that. So, okay, Randall, the, the question I wanted to ask you, though, 
Because what we are seeing with these these cities that are putting in these urban boundaries and and uh, they're making it so difficult for the middle class, like San Francisco, it's the haves and it's the have-nots. The middle class is being pushed out, but yet they want to subsidize, you know, the the quote unquote the poor, the uh, disadvantaged, and uh, and these these cities. There's parts of them that look like third world countries. How I mean, you talk about the death of a great American city. When you look at trash and people defecating on the street, I mean, how is this happening, Randall O'Toole? Well, first of all, let's distinguish between middle class and middle income. Uh, middle class. Uh, sociologically is people who have college educations and who work with their minds rather than with their hands doing manual labor Uh, and middle income is roughly the half of the people who earn somewhere in the middle rather than the very rich or the very poor Uh, so only about 30 percent of americans are middle class only about 30 percent of americans have college degrees And yet the middle-income people is a much bigger class. It includes a lot of working-class people who have good incomes uh, because uh, there's a lot of good working-class jobs out there. Uh, So uh, what we're seeing in these cities is they are going after what has been called the creative class. Well, what's a creative class? It's people with college degrees. They're going after, uh, they're trying to get people who have college degrees to, to move to their cities and they're trying to push away people who don't have college degrees, the working class. So when they say creative class, what they mean is they're anti-working class and they're pro-middle class or pro-college degree t- types. Uh, well, guess who doesn't have a lot of college degrees? Blacks. Uh, I kind of think of blacks as a bellwether. Blacks have historically had only about 60% of the per capita incomes of whites. They have much lower rates of, of uh high school graduation, much lower rates of college graduation. So you look at what's happening to blacks in these cities, and you can see what's happening to working-class people in general, working-class white, working-class Latino, and so on. I'm just using blacks as a bellwether. And if you look around the the country and you say, well, where are blacks moving to? That must be places that are racially friendly. And where are blacks moving from? Those must be places that are racist. Well, the most racist cities in America are Los Angeles and San Francisco. Uh, black populations there are declining almost every year, according to the census. Uh, and so we're seeing this huge exodus of people from uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco, blacks, but also we're other working class. Meanwhile, Houston, Dallas, Atlanta, southern cities that we think of as being historically racist, that's where the blacks are moving. We've got huge increases in black populations. Much, they're growing much faster than white populations. Why? Because housing is affordable there. They can get jobs and they can pay for housing there. Uh, Denver, Portland, Seattle, uh, they have urban growth boundaries. They haven't become as expensive as San Francisco and Los Angeles. We aren't seeing black populations decline, but what we are seeing is black home ownership is declining much faster than white home ownership. Black residencies in single-family homes is declining much faster than, in, than whites. And so uh, whites have been able to maintain their single-family uh, home residencies. They've been able to maintain their home ownership rates, but black home ownership and black living in single-family homes are, are just dropping dramatically. And so uh, we're pushing, basically, the working class out of single-family neighborhoods. 
We're pushing them out of home ownership. We're pushing them into apartments. And we, we see urban planners being so callous because they actually write in their plans that we have a target of reducing single-family residency in our urban area from 65% to 40%, uh, which means 25% of the people who would rather live in, in single-family homes are going to be forced to live in multifamily. And so we're not forcing anybody to do, to do anything. Uh, no, you're not forcing any particular person, but you're making it too expensive for 25% of the people to live in single-family, and they have to live in multifamily. Well, and so this is this brings up the word regentrification, and we've seen this in uh, uh, up at kind of in the Five Points area in uh, Denver, which had traditionally been uh, a black area. And, and right. so, what what I've seen happen then is you see government policy, uh, governments uh, you know involved in regentrifying a neighborhood, so they're putting money into that. It increases the property taxes, and so those families that were in single-family houses are having a heck of a time because the property taxes go up, and then you see it, it makes it easy for developers to come in. They buy that property. They put up the four- or five-story apartment building, and then this is pushing these people out of their neighborhoods, and uh, again, I don't think that people could quite put their finger on what was happening. Karen and I talked about it earlier in the show that you know, there's something that's kind of making your tummy go, something's not quite right here. But am I correct on that, on regentrification? Well, there's a couple of things going on. One is that uh, they're using tax increment financing often to support these five-story buildings. A tax increment financing works by taking all the property taxes from the new construction and devoting it to subsidizing the new construction. Well, the people living in that building still use fire, police, schools, and things like that. But who pays for that? It's the people who living, live in the buildings around them uh, who are having to pay higher property taxes or accepting a lower quality of urban services, lower quality schools, less fire protection, less police protection. Uh, and, and so it be, the neighborhood becomes less desirable for them to live in. Uh, the second thing that's happening is that uh, years ago uh, when in the 1950s, when the government was building high-rise housing for people, uh, they found that they got enormous amounts of crime for low-income people living in high-rise housing. But the same low-income people living in single-family homes uh, across the street from the high-rises, you didn't see, it, didn't see a big increase in crime. There was an architect named Oscar Newman who did an analysis, and he figured out that what was going on was that the high-rises had lots of common areas. And so you couldn't tell somebody walking across a common area was a resident or a thief, mm. whereas the low-rises had all this private land. If you saw somebody in a the backyard, they better be somebody who lived in that house or they were probably trying to break into that house. So you knew right away if they were a resident or a thief. And as a result, he said, Oscar Newman found that uh, multifamily housing was more criminogenic. It is more vulnerable to crime because uh, it had so much common areas. So now we're building mid-rises instead of high-rises, but they still have lots of common areas on the ground floor, the, uh, the, the gardens and so on around it are common areas, the shops in the ground floor are common areas, the hallways are common areas, so you can't tell who belongs and who doesn't, so you're going to get more crime. And inevitably, some of that crime is going to leak over into the adjacent neighborhood of single-family homes. 
And so you're going to make that neighborhood a less desirable place to be. So we're, we're hurting the people who we claim to be wanting to help. Uh, and on top of this, mid-rise housing costs three to four times as much per square foot as single-family homes. And so uh, we're saying we're going to build affordable housing. We're going to build hey, Randall, square foot apartments and call it affordable. We're going to have to have you back. This is an important conversation. <laughs> Just very quickly, where can people find your writings? Well, the best place to go is the Anti-Planner. My uh, blog is called uh, ti.org slash Anti-Planner or just Google Anti-Planner and I'm the first thing on the list. Or go to cato.org and you'll find a lot of my papers there. Randall O'Toole, thank you so much. And so our quote for today, Harry Varden, who won the British Open six times, said, I'm the best and I'll thank you to remember that. <laughs> so today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. So God bless you and God bless America.